0: I'm Dave Hentz, the pastor of Flint Hills Bible Church. Uh,
1: My name is Mike Summers, and I'm pastor at Countryside Church in Oakland Park, Kansas. Very similar.
2: Jay Lickey, uh, pastor at Open Door Fellowship in Bay Sur, Kansas. Joshua Smith, I'm an area leader over Latin America, Caribbean for the mission agency Reach Global, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America, and I'm a member here at Flint Hills Bible Church.
3: Jeff Terrell, senior pastor at Ascend Church in Olathe. All
0: right. Now, Jeff, we talked about the Stand Firm Conference. Can you just give us some of the vision behind it and what you're thinking?
3: Yeah, so, you know, actually, Dave and I had a conversation before the first Ironman when I was at seminary, at Master's Seminary, and he was there for Shepherds Conference. So I remember him talking about this vision, and so we were at the ground floor of this, and every year that we come... We just walk away saying, oh, we don't want to wait an entire year to do this again. Mm -hmm. And so as we've had those conversations, we've got a a men's ministry with the leadership that just said, well, why can't we do something? And so we are not in competition with Iron Men. This isn't Mm -hmm. a replacement for Iron Men. It's just intended for those of you who enjoy this and want to do it again before January. We invite you to Ascend Church in Olathe. We're in southern Olathe. Mike Summers and Rick Holland will be preaching for us. And uh, some of you from Countryside said, are we stealing Mike? No, we are not stealing Mike. We just know good preaching and we want to make sure that they're at our conference. So uh, it's in partnership with Ironman, and we're hoping that we might be able to get some people in our North Kansas City area, maybe even up to Iowa, who are impacted that maybe can come down to this, can watch online, and so it's a a partnership uh, just to build on what's been going on here at Ironman.
0: Yeah, and I really uh, just appreciate that heart. And In fact, one of the questions we had was, when are we going to do an Ironman in Missouri? And we, we've actually franchised this before. Uh, down in Oklahoma, the Bible Church of Owasa does their own Ironman Summit. And so we're not, uh, we love hosting it, we love doing it, but we love men's ministry and wherever and whoever... When people have a high view of God and a high view of scripture and really understand God's vision for masculinity, we want to get behind it. And so that's a real thing you want to do. Yeah.
3: So I I have a business background. I didn't complete the loop here. Okay. So if you want to register and you got got those cards, there should be a QR code and a website so that you can go ahead and register. It's in October. And get the word out.
0: Yeah. And they put on a great conference, by the way. They've done women's conferences, marriage conferences, counseling conferences. And so they do it right. So hearty commendation to you. I love it. So here's some questions to kind of start us off. We're going to do um, some more evangelism-oriented questions than maybe some um, kind of some one-off practical questions. We got some very deep theological questions that uh, would make for interesting discussion, but they would take the whole time. So if you ask those questions, God bless you, brother. Love the mind, love the sharpening. But I think our purpose of the Q&A is we realize we can't give adequate attention to that. So no hurt feelings, okay? So let's uh, look at this first question. How can I use questions to introduce discussions of the gospel in my secular conversations with the lost and kind of a related one in steering conversations to the heart level what are helpful questions to ask people to get below the surface, right? I think all of us, like, you know how to share the gospel. You know how to actually convey it, but how do you get that started? What are some strategies that you use, gospel hacks?
1: Um, I'll go ahead and, uh, and lead off. So for years, um, I have found that one of the most difficult pieces to be ineffective, being an effective Witness is making that transition introducing the, the subject crossing that bridge, and so something that I've used just um, I Have it in my pocket not literally uh, just kind of figuratively that is an acrostic f-a-i-t-h um, Just five an acronym with five letters that gives me in the back of my brain some topics to ask questions in and, and, and questions um, and being a listener, I've found, are really helpful. So F, uh, for me, is um, just is the word family. So I want to ask, uh, you know, about their family, about a little bit about their background, just to kind of um, listen. And as I ask these questions, I'm listening for points of identification. I'm trying to find out how I can identify with them. For instance, if they say they're from some place originally out west, I'll say, oh yeah, well I was, you know, I, I lived in Wyoming and kind of tell a little, I'm kind of putting little bits of my story and, and just showing some identification. If there's a hobby that comes out or, or if they say, oh yeah, I live in Topeka. So really, where, where in Topeka do you live? So F for family. Um, a would be activities, interests. Um, what do you like to do? What are some things that um, maybe you and your wife um, have enjoyed, and I'm building a relationship. Now, this is with somebody who, who is just a, you know, these are like airplane uh, conversations, mm-hmm. airplane seat conversations. Um, I is, I'm going to find out if they have any interest in spiritual things. Um, so um, that's when I'll start asking some, you know, spiritual questions. Well, like, you know, have you ever, um, Attended, you know, church. Do you have any kind of church background? Um, by this point in the conversation, they've probably asked me what I do, and of course, I say I'm a uh, professional football player, and then, um, no, uh, I'm a pastor. So I'll say, well, what about you? You know, do you uh, you attend church anywhere? Have you ever attended church? I don't want to be that guy who says, kind of in a condescending way, like, well. You know, are you checking the box? Are you doing your church attendance? No, I, I want to just find out. Mm-hmm. You know, has it ever been part of your life? Um, uh, T, I will, um, if they've been to church, I'll ask them, you know, a testimony. Like, well tell me, you know, your uh, experience. Was it a good experience for you? Um, did you have a bad experience with church? And T also would be my testimony. So I might share my testimony. Mm-hmm. That leads to age. I want to get to this. And it's, um, it, it's kind of like, what are your thoughts about what happens after you die? H for heaven, in my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens after you die? And um, do you have any concerns whether or not you'll be there? And what is the basis for being there? So that F-A-I-T-H, that little five-letter acronym, you could come up with a better one, I'm sure. But just so that you have in your mind some ready questions... To cross over that bridge. And um, you know, the old evangelism explosion diagnostic question, um, if those of you who have done that, um, you know, if you were to stand before God and He were to say, Why should I let you into my heaven? You know, what do you think you would say? You know, it's mm-hmm. hypothetical, but that is a, a good kind of a bridge yeah. um, that I've used in the past before. But the other thing is, as I'm listening, often, People are going to like leak out crisis. People are going through something all the time. They're either weighed down with anxiety or fear about something, or they've just had a tragedy in their family. And because they don't have Christ, they have no foundation. There's no, there's no hook to hang on to. And so I'm listening for those things. And if they say something like this, I'll ask questions like, that has got to be super tough. How are mm-hmm. you making it? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find out, what, what are they basing life on? And then, yeah. if, after hearing their answer, say, you know, I know several people that have gone through something that is horrific, and here's what they've found has helped them get mm-hmm. through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Here's how that happens. So those are just some
4: some practical ways that I've done it. I don't awesome. want to non- monopolize. Yeah, Jay. Okay. Sometimes in those conversations, uh, something will come out about uh, a church or some some connection to something religious, spiritual somewhere. And uh, and that's an alert. Sometimes that's you know this is going to be a little bit harder if they've got some some religious osity in the back. A couple questions that at least one that I've found kind of helpful to spur things along is, if I hear that or if there's a, a church and I don't know anything about it, I'll say uh, how does your church or whatever the connection they have how does your church say that a person can be forgiven of all their sin? What do they teach? Mm-hmm. And it uh, and allows them a degree of safety like, well, the church says it, and, and, but obviously they've got some connection there, so that fills that out, and and uh, so I really get to hear what they're, uh, mm-hmm. what they're thinking, because this is, this is, they've got a connection there. Um, and then a follow on, I will also uh, I find myself often asking, um, if the Bible said something different, would you want to know?
1: Mm.
4: And uh, that can go a lot of different ways. There's been a few times I've had people say, n- no, no. And, and that's another, well, wow, really? You, you just, and then that can be another question. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. but usually that will, uh, you know, if, they're, if they've got some interest, well, I'd love, to, I'd love to share about that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Let's move on to another one. Should I try to continue conversations about the gospel with an unbeliever when they show a lack of interest or refuse to talk about it? How, how do you,
2: and this is difficult when it's family, right? What do you think, Josh? In a sense, I think you want to be, be, be cautious not to sort of force it down their throat, right? There's actually a phrase in Spanish called un which means you're hitting someone over the head with a Bible. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, if, if we're living out the gospel in all of life, then we can't not talk about the gospel because it's how we view the world. It's kind of like someone saying, I, I like you, but I don't like your wife, so I stop talking about your wife. Like, I'm sorry, man. It's a package deal. Uh, so, in a sense, I can be sensitive to the non-believer who's not particularly interested, not, not always force the conversation, but if I'm being faithful to live out the gospel in all areas of life, and it's going to shape my view of everything about life, and it's going to come out naturally, and it should come out naturally, because it's who I am.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Other thoughts on that? Jeff,
4: what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's great, and I think that's one of the things we talked about in our uh, breakout session, is that the evangelism in the gospel is not... A transaction. It's, it's a way of life for us that are followers of Christ. So, you know, I think we are, pushing, we, we are pushing for people, like Paul said, knowing the terror of God. We try to persuade men. We are trying to push them to a response, but at the end of the day, we just want to keep planting and watering seeds of the gospel and do so in a way that's flowing out of our life of worship rather than some sort of box that we're
0: checking. Okay. I thought this was a really interesting one. Family evangelism my children are in grade school and all express a love and desire to follow Jesus. I don't want to give them false assurance but I also don't want to take away the joy of their possible salvation. What do I do? Go for
4: it.
1: Yeah, I like that question um, a lot and it tells me that there's a parent who is struggling with the same thing that I did um, as a parent. And that is, if you have a a child um, in a Christian home that's exposed to the gospel so regularly, it's just part of the ebb and flow of of life, it's who you are as a family. Um, They're going to be confronted with sin, they're going to be confronted with the the glory of God, the greatness of God, and they're going to um, probably trust in Christ at a young age, not not all the time, and but then we're still disciplining them because they still, you know, disobey. And so a lot of parents um, struggle with that. Like, eh, I don't know for sure if my kid's saved. I don't want to be one of those parents who say, "Yes, I remember," you know, when you uh, you were on my lap and you said these words, and you know, regardless of if the child is really doubting based on the sin in their life. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be the parent who's like locked in. But I would say if your child, like the question said, is um, following Jesus, what is a disciple? Follower of Jesus. Praise Mm -hmm. God with that. Continue to give them the gospel. Now that you're saved as an adult, are you done with the gospel in your own life? No, you're constantly, mm-hmm. you know, rehearsing the gospel. The gospel tells us that, you know, my acceptance before God is not based on my performance. It's based on his grace. The gospel tells me that I am forgiven, that I don't have to make God like me, that he loves me yeah. unconditionally on the basis of what Jesus has done. So we're, we're constantly telling ourselves the gospel. We do that still with our kids. And then um, if they struggle with that, um, Then, I remember I had a a 12-year-old come to me, one of my 12-year-olds, and said, um, he was a little nervous. He said, Mom, Dad, I I just want to let you know, I don't believe all this stuff. I don't believe the Bible's true. I don't believe in that. And and he was shocked at our response. And our response was, um, yeah, well, we're going to pray for you. He thought we were going to come down and it was going to be a discipline issue. So he said, we'll pray for you. Because, um, you know, this isn't just an intellectual decision. Mm-hmm. This is a work of God in the heart. So with your kids, continue to watch them, continue to pray uh, for them. And, um, and celebrate them following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't put the wet blanket on that. But here's what you can't do. You can't be the parent who tries to be the assurance of their salvation. It's not your role. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yep. Okay. i just, just to add to that I, with my kids made professions of faith uh, pretty young, I think we should take seriously their professions of faith, I, I treat people based on they say they're a believer, I'm going to treat them like a believer say they're not, I'm going to uh, accept that they're not a believer and we'll move forward, same with my children but there comes a point where they say well, what, what, am I really saved or not, and the question for me always is uh, <clears throat> whether you're a believer or not, I don't know your heart but the response is the exact same, trust in Jesus does that make sense? So as your kid's a crisis of, of faith, what's the response to the crisis of faith? Whether actually believe it or not, the response is trust in Jesus, either to grow in faith or to be converted as a child of God.
4: Mm-hmm. Jay? Uh, book, Recom- book recommendation for you. Um, it's not really a parenting book, but it does touch on issues that, uh, this question, uh, it's a book called Practicing Affirmation, and um, a surprisingly helpful book for me and uh, kind of connected with Desiring God, uh, Piper Ministry. Um, really helpful, and it's just it's, it's all about um, uh, speaking to evidences of grace in people, unbelievers as well as mm-hmm. believers, and um, having a, a, a culture of recognizing grace, speaking to it, affirming mm-hmm. it, is a needful thing, and it, uh, it allows for further conversation of which... This is where I I think you know. This is what parents want: is uh, uh, to always be talking, uh, speaking of the the truth, and and where you see evidences of grace, to um, be thankful for that, encourage that, water those seeds, and and be looking for where that goes.
0: Yeah. I would just add too. uh, We were talking about this in our speaker room. When was Paul saved? On the road to Damascus. Okay. When was Peter saved? Anybody, can anybody answer that question? When was Peter saved? I don't know. I don't know. Was it when he followed John the Baptist? Was it when he left John the Baptist to follow Jesus? Was it when he made the confession, confession that you are the Christ? Then shortly after he was told, get behind me, Satan. Was it when he was, was he unsaved when he denied Christ three times? Was he saved when he was restored? Or was he saved when he was baptized by the Holy Spirit? Um, the, what gives us assurance of salvation are the promises of God, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit, and basically works done with the Spirit's power, right? Not a momentary experience. And I think for a lot of um, our young people, they grow up waiting to be zapped. And it can be very discouraging for them. Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? And that's why, like, Pilgrim's Progress is part of our family lore. And we read different versions of it. And the story is about Christian leaves the city of destruction. And it's interesting. He starts a spiritual journey before he converts. And then he converts, and then he continues the journey. And so I just say, you know, ask, and it will be answered. Seek, and you will find. Right? Just, just stay on the path. And like Peter, we'll figure out, we know that conversion is a moment, right? It is a moment. We can figure that out later. We'll just figure that out later. But you stay on the path and we'll see. We'll see. So, speaking of kids, this is obviously a kid question. I hear a lot of bad words at school. What do I do when I hear that? Do I say something?
1: I hear a lot of bad words, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really like that question. I hope you're still in here, whoever whoever did that. Um, and you're going to, as you grow, you're going to experience that outside of the context of your family and your church, um, there's not a lot of believers. And we... Um, Expect unbelievers to do things that unbelievers do. So one of the things that you can do, I know what you're thinking is you hear these bad words, should you go up and, you know, confront them about that? I don't know that that is necessarily your job, nor do I think that it would be helpful to that person. But here's what you can do. Those kids that are using that language, they're probably picking that up in their home because that's what they're parents are are saying. So one of the things that you can do is when you're on recess or if you're um, in between class or or, I don't know the age of the child, um, you might just say that is a kid who needs the Lord and just start developing a relationship with him and look for opportunities to share how we are all going to be accountable to a holy God Mm -hmm. who has... Um, provided a way for us to escape his judgment through Jesus and just build up a, a relationship to witness you know.
3: yeah yeah Jeff. yeah you know my wife is I know many of you men have this testimony is, is amazing and she has an amazing way of just wording things she, she wrote this booklet of putting off and putting on and then she has this three-step process for our girls that if you decide you're convicted to go say something, make sure you evaluate, is it true, is it kind, and is it helpful? And I think that's helpful for us as adults. And so there's many things that are true, but don't check the kind and helpful box. Mm-hmm. There's many things we might be willing to share that are true, and we might even be kind in it, but is it, as Mike said, is it our role? Is it our place? Do we? Have the opportunity to contribute to helping this person by what we're saying and so i would commend that to you whoever asked the question and then to all of us that if we're so convicted to say something make sure that it's true it's kind and it's helpful
0: okay in in a culture where the church is portrayed as patriarchal and repressive how do we gently but forcefully argue truth when it comes to male headship without playing into stereotypes josh you had some thoughts on this
2: I think the, the primary thing we can do is we can love our wives deeply. Uh, you can argue about patriarchy, male headship, all these things. But when a man sacrifices his life for his wife, when he builds her up and he honors her and he blesses her and he serves her and she, he respects her as a fellow heir, as a fellow ruler of the God's world from creation on... That is a powerful testimony that people cannot ignore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of the patriarchy or headship sort of issues, it really comes down to often men failing to do that. Mm -hmm. If you will love your wife like Christ loved the church, it will be a powerful argument for appropriate God-honoring, woman-honoring male leadership. Mm
3: -hmm. I might add to that. So uh, that's excellent. 1 Corinthians 11, I think, is a great least biblical starting point. So when you think about that, there's basically three categories. There's the creation order, uh, there's the family order, and then there's the church order. And if you think about each one of those at a creation order, well then you draw your attention to the creator in terms of what does that headship look like. When you look at family, you look at husband and wife, you go to Ephesians 5 and you see that Christ in the church as the model for headship. And then when you go to the church, you see what the Bible says about elders and shepherding and overseers. And you look at that as the model for headship. And I think that just piggybacks on what Josh said, but it gives us kind of a biblical, if we go to that scripture and that three-tiered or three-category approach to headship, I think that might help as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important that it's very clear that leadership is used to bless and benefit the person under your care. Um, I'm married to a very, very strong woman. And it was really interesting I thought that as a young husband, I needed to be the leader, lead in all things. And we had a moment where um, we were parking the car at a, outside a buffet. Don't ask me why we went to a buffet, but we had a coupon. <laughs> and she didn't think she could do it, because I was always telling her how she, she should park. And I think it was a case in I was overleading, to the point where she lost confidence when she was around me. And that was something where, you know, she brought that to my attention, and I realized that my leadership was crushing her, not blessing her. I wasn't building her up. I wasn't making her stronger. And, you know, the the wife is a helpmate, you know, and if you weaken your helpmate, you are really suffering, right? So there's a kind of a reciprocal nation that making strong women make for strong men, that make for strong, I mean, there's a beauty there and a harmony in God's design that when people see it, it's wonderful. Now, kind of related to that, um, how can I disciple a wife who's not receptive to my leadership? And then we have another question is, how does a husband lead his wife when she's walking away from the faith?
3: Well, I think you. you started that answer by really making sure that you're evaluating yourself first. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's behind that question. There's, there's motivation and context to that question that unfortunately we don't have. But I think the first thing we need to do is evaluate our leadership and to see if there's anything that is not modeling Christ in the, the way we're leading them, the goals that we're leading her toward. So I, I just grabbed that from what you were saying, but that's what mm-hmm. first steps out.
1: Yeah, other touch, Mike? Yeah, I think for the, the question relating to a a wife who is walking away from the faith, how do you need her? Um, I think what's the most important thing is her soul at that moment. So that's that's what you want to care for. You want to care for her soul. Um, all kinds of little preferences at that point don't matter. All that matters is that you love her the way that Christ loved her. And that you, um, that you go get some help from uh, your pastor, biblical counselor in your church who can actually help you um, love her well in this time and focus on what her doubts um, stem from. Because they didn't just come mm-hmm. out of nowhere. There have been some things that have happened. And be willing to Um, to accept the fact that maybe she's going to throw some uh, shade your way because Mm -hmm. you haven't been effectively um, leading her the way that that you should be willing to own that and accept that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Here's a kind of a serious question. Um, I have friends that are battling depression and suicidal thoughts. How can I help them biblically? Jeff, you had some, some thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, this is a tough one. And I think over the last three years, we've seen just not only nationally, but globally, this topic become more of, unfortunately, a, a real topic for us. And so uh, I'd start out, and I, we, we talked about this in the room, so I know the other guys have mm-hmm. some great contributions, but I'd start out looking for uh, what the person is saying in their comments about suicide. So. Uh, there can be anything from the range of kind of a "woe is me," you know. I guess I should just—it's better if I don't live. To I'm actually talking about a plan that I'm putting together to execute this, and so I think all of it should be taken seriously. But obviously, the the second side of that polarity is something that you've got to jump in and you've got to you've got to lean into. And so, um, in that particular case, the church hopefully should have people who are trained to be able to listen, to be able to ask questions, to be able to escalate where needed, but to take this person to the scriptures. But there are times when this just needs to be de-escalated. And there are uh, professionals in the secular realm, uh, police officers, suicide prevention lines, that uh, while not probably going to address the hearts, uh, is a, an important tool to be able to get a place of stability to then continue that relationship, to peel back the layers and get to the heart. That's, that's where I would start.
0: Yeah, and we don't have the power to institutionalize somebody and get them away from self-harm, right? So that's something where the government can help with that. And, and I, I like what you said. It's not the long-term solution, but when, when somebody makes a plan that's the sign. You know, that's, that's when they're really serious.
1: I, yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't in on you guys going over the questions, but as I heard that, I think a specific question was, um, I have friends who struggle with depression and um, anxiety. How can I help them? When you look in Scripture and you look at, at hope, the hope mm-hmm. of the believer that's what you want to offer them and and you can come alongside them personally and hold up Jesus to them Mm -hmm. he is the hope Uh, the hope of the gospel uh, the glorious hope of his return the hope that we have the peace that he provides hold up Jesus and listen to them, talk to them Um, you might want to memorize scripture with them give them something that they can hang on to that's tangible but if as the guy said, if they're actually talking about, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, string up a rope in my garage and hang myself, but then it's you need to do a little bit more than just yeah. saying, oh, you need to hope in Jesus. You need to do some immediate yeah. um, action.
3: Can I add to that? So we, I know, Mike, you do a tremendous job at your church with biblical counseling. We really are investing in that. And so I've done... lot of study. And and in my journey of studying biblical counseling, I think there is unfortunately in the church a lot of stigma with depression, where if somebody uses that term, we we almost want to just tell them, hey, you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Uh, It's pretend, it's not real. It it is real. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is go to the book that has the most chapters in the Bible and see that there were constantly authors Mm -hmm. of those Psalms that were dealing with depression. And sometimes... Pretty significantly so. But Mm -hmm. to Mike's point, what we see in those psalms is as they're struggling with emotions and feelings and being overwhelmed, there's usually a a turning point in the psalm that reflects on the true hope that is found in the character of God, the true hope that is found in really digging into him and our relationship with him, rather than the investment in our circumstances changing. And that uh, takes the psalmist from a point of depression to a place of hope, even when circumstances don't change. So, I just think it's important for us as Christians to not stigmatize depression and pretend it doesn't exist, but also take what Mike said and follow the Psalms and get people to the hope that is found in the gospel.
4: You know, there is one Psalm that does not have that turn turn into hope. And it's a uh, Psalm 88, mm-hmm. and uh, that is in God's Word. It is a dark, dark Psalm, and uh, uh, it's in there for a purpose. And it's in there to say, this can happen, and it's it it does happen. There can be some really dark times, and to know that is a step towards hope. To say God is telling us we can we can mm-hmm. be that. Now, there's lots of other Psalms where there's lots mm-hmm. of hope. Uh, and so, just uh, knowing that, knowing that Psalm is there, uh, is is even helpful to me. So,
0: yeah. so there's another question. Uh, there is a common phrase among biblical authors and speakers and parachurch organizations. People say this is a gospel issue for a variety of issues: social justice, politics, gender identity. How do you discern what is truly a gospel issue and what is not? I thought that's a great question
3: this wasn't in the room we didn't talk about this I thought we did Did, if we we? did I was zoned out because this is (laughs) okay I want to hear what Mike has to say about this
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) well there's two ways to look at this um you know in in a sense it trivialized the question everything's a gospel issue um what I you know what I do with my time is a gospel issue um the clothes that i wear that's a gospel issue. Um, my marriage is a gospel issue, but i think that becomes overused. Like we all we get that. Everything is is connected to Jesus Christ who's connected to the cross, who's connected to our salvation. But i, I think what's happened is issues like the deity of Christ that is a gospel issue. Issues like the substitutionary atonement. That's a gospel issue. Yeah. Um, whether someone speaks in tongues or not, not a gospel issue. Yeah. Just to illustrate. Yeah.
3: So so what you're saying is that the gospel hinges on that. Okay. That, that's yeah, it. I think
0: there's things that you have to believe to be a Christian. You have to believe in the authority of the Bible the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Things you have to believe. And then there's things that you can't deny and be a Christian. So you can have somebody who becomes a Christian and they never really understand the Trinity, but they never deny it. Does that make sense? Then you might have somebody who denies the deity of Christ and they might say they believe in the other parts, but it's like, well, that's actually a gospel issue. So I think if you're talking about gospel as far as what you need to believe and embrace and what you can't deny to be saved that's a very narrow category and i think when you kind of blur the lines it's not really not really helpful
3: but i think for, for me even as i'm processing that that's a helpful distinction between the, both of those are categorically gospel issues there's the ones that they have gospel hinges on whether or mm. not you're saved whether or not you have orthodoxy and then there's yeah. The other category that I think should infiltrate as a believer all of these topics of our lives, yeah. including what you wear, just because it's the gospel lens through which yeah. we look at that. Whose glory are we actually contributing to? That's help, that's helpful. I appreciate it. Joshua?
2: If you guys haven't read Al Muller's uh, article on theological triage, that's something you got to just Google theological triage. And I think it's a helpful breakdown of uh, the top tier are these essential things you can't deny or you need to believe to be saved, and the Bible lays those... Out, or they're essential to the faith. Then you have second-tier issues, which are important, uh, but they're not essential to the faith. And you might choose not to serve with one another, for example, because you disagree on this theological issue. Then there are third-tier issues, which are even less essential, and you probably could work closely together, uh, even though you may disagree on that issue. Mm -hmm. So Google that. I found that to be a very helpful tool to think through what things are essential gospel issues in which are secondary or third-level gospel issues, we can uh, disagree uh, and and still view each other as believers.
0: Yeah. So here's another question. How tightly do we hold the doctrines of grace, specifically total depravity, when dialoguing with those we love who lean towards Arminianism? And so Arminianism is the understanding that, basically, you choose to become become a Christian, you have to make a decision where... Calvinism. The opposite would be, you know, God is the one who acts, and He's the one who predestines us to salvation. and And I would say in this conference, you know, all the speakers were more on that Calvinistic bent. Although I think we don't like the term Calvinism uh, because we want to follow a man. But but there is, like, if you believe it, and you just think I I've I see the glory of God, the greatness of God there is a real change that happens, and people get excited about it, and they wanna to talk to their dad who's an Armenian, or, you know what I'm saying, there's, um, it can be difficult. They,
4: yeah, Jay, and then Mike. This is a kind of introductory thought on that, it is uh, for those that have been kind of in those circles and thinking of those things, there, there is that stage that and it's got a title called the, the cage stage, right? When mm-hmm. the, this, these doctrines are just exploding off the word of God, and you're seeing it, and it's, it's awesome, and, and all you want to do is talk about it and speak about it, and then you kind of want to argue about it, about it as well. And uh, and um, and what happens, and I think this kind of fits with this question here, is uh, that... that um, it's called a cage stage because you want to throw them in a cage because it's yeah it gets they're not crazy. doing us any favors. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's it's not real good. And the reason is they're not doing any favors is because they're really not believing those doctrines fully yet. Because there's there's great freedom and peace and rest to know God is sovereign and I can rest in that and I am not having to uh, to uh, to turn someone to these doctrines. He, he is he is at work. And, and, and I can rest in that, and I can, uh, I can speak the truth, but I can do it with uh, patience and kindness, and uh, God is doing the work. And so uh, sometimes this is just happening because we're, we're not really even fully believing these doctrines ourselves yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think what I would say in, in an answer to that question is, uh, the question was, you know, how do I talk to a loved one about these things? And I would say, I don't. I don't. Um, urge talk about scripture talk about what scripture says talk about Jesus Christ if they're in the word these things are going to come up it's going to raise questions in their mind they may come to you with answers mm-hmm. or with questions rather that's great but for you to try to turn someone to a theological position i, I think it's a waste of time and it just creates conflict and it it, it makes the relationship weird and it doesn't it doesn't help them
2: that's just my opinion. Yeah. The question asked, how strongly should you hold to it? I mean, in that sense, you hold strongly to all of your beliefs, right? If you believe it's true, you hold strongly to it. You can hold strongly to it and still be gracious. You yeah. can hold strongly to it and not cram it into every single conversation. You can hold strongly to it and be kind. And I really like, if, if it's a, an Armenian family member who's a true follower of Jesus, well, you, you bl- both believe that, we're saved through, by grace through faith in Jesus. You both, both believe in the authority of the word of God. So in a gracious conversation, you can talk about what, what the word of God says. believing the best about them, not as your enemy, but as your, your brother. Maybe I feel that a little bit, especially myself, because I'm a solid four and a half point Calvinist. Okay, like the Bible teaches, I'm pretty sure. And that means <laughs> that you know, I, I'm a radical for an Arminian. And for a five-pointer, I am an Arminian. <laughs> uh, but what it comes down to is we're brothers in the faith, yeah. and we want to open the Word of God and wrestle with what the Word of God says. And then when we can't agree, we yeah. can still love each other as brothers in the faith and recognize that salvation is still by grace through faith alone yeah. in
0: Him. I think when you look at an Armenian, many of them are Armenian because they feel like they need to defend the goodness of God. If God elects the lost, and we don't have a say in it, in their mind, that makes God the author of sin, and that's a view of God that, that troubles them, right? And so we, want to be, we don't wanna be quick to accuse them because in their mind, they're defending the goodness and the honor of God. They believe that they are um, defending scripture and the come to me and all those passages. On our side, right, we think we're defending the greatness of God, And a lot of times when we kind of discover the sovereignty God of salvation, we discover his greatness. And it is kind of a tweak in our view of God. And so that's why just having an understanding that they're not the enemy, that they have some genuine concerns, and it takes a long time to turn that ship. And you do not, you know, sweetness of speech increases persuasion. And going after them, saying you're a, you know, all that stuff, you know, the cage stage stuff, you're not helping the cause. Because they think if being a Calvinist turns me into a person like that, no thank you. And you're like, well, that's not logical.
2: (laughs) You don't get it. My my wife actually helped convince me to become a a Calvinist. It it was Romans 3. My wife, before we were married, argued with me about theological issues because we were Young, at a Christian college, you do that sort of thing at a Christian college. But it was Romans 3 uh, that as I wrestled with the text, I couldn't deny what it said about human depravity and what it meant. And I had to be honest with that. And I wanted to be honest with it because I wanted to know God. I wasn't trying to be yeah. disobedient or an idiot. Um, I will say one little well-made trick up my sleeve for Armenians uh, is to ask them, uh, do you ever pray for the salvation of other people? Because if you pray for the salvation of other people you're asking god to break through their will and actually change them and uh and so in that sense no you know there are, there are very few fully consistent arminians they, they when it comes down to it, we all really do believe in god's sovereignty and we really do want god to kindly change the heart of our yeah. friend or neighbor or spouse
0: yeah and it takes a long time to change and if you break off the relationship because you're being a jerk you're never going to persuade them yeah. it takes a long time um here's another question is vision casting biblical? <laughs> Jeff yeah, like, has is that sh- like dream weaving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vision casting, right? Jeff, what do you? Well, the, you're no, Mr. Vision caster. We kinda
3: <laughs> 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 uh, We kind of had fun with this in the room, yeah. just because we we would imagine there's probably more to this question yeah. than just the words that are there, but. Uh, I think if you're looking at vision as being defined as an end goal of a mission, the end goal of an organization, the end goal of a business, I think you can go all throughout Scripture and see that God is a vision casting God and He expects His leaders to cast a vision. But I think it's important to understand that that vision must align with Scripture. That vision must be coming out of people who have hearts that are pursuing Christ that have the end goal of the glory of God uh, ultimately as the purpose of whatever vision or strategic planning that you do. But I think you can't help but see Jethro with Moses, go to the Proverbs thinking about wisdom and planning, uh, just see how Jesus ran His ministry, even the feeding of the five thousand, and telling the disciples, "Look, we're going to have a lot of food to pass out. We need to be strategic with this." Mm-hmm. I, I think that at that level, yes, the Bible affirms vision and strategic planning.
1: Yeah, I would say this for the person who asked the question who maybe doubts it. It's a guy, I'm sure, because there's not many women in here. Uh, so here's the thought. If you don't think that it's something that you should do, um, try to plan a vacation without telling your wife. You better cast that vision.
3: True. Is that from experience, Mike?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the church is an informal, voluntary organization. And the fact of the matter is, we can't fire people, we don't hire people, do you know what I'm saying? So to really lead a church um, and get everybody on the same page, on board, uh, sometimes it does take, maybe not vision casting, like one of, like we do a yearly theme, and our yearly theme this year is a better gospel. There's other times where we, you know, last year's theme was being a redeeming community, where we want to be people that, use hospitality to bring people into the fold. So we have a different spiritual emphasis every year. And we could do the Great Commission every year. That's our vision. But there is kind of a feel to shepherding. It's like, where does the congregation, what, what do we need at this moment to emphasize? Uh, quick question. For those who use tracts, does
4: anyone have a tract they would recommend?
0: Any, do you guys use anything, any tract?
4: yeah i use them all the time um and my my go to one is um a booklet it's really it's it's bigger it's called a uh, four year joy it's by john piper hmm. and uh so it's uh it's bigger it's thicker it's got little mini chapters and um but as you move to the back of it it gets put into bullet points and then down to the core and uh i just basically i a couple of years ago or i don't know yeah you're i just I began thinking, like, there's all these people I interact with uh, just at the store. I purchase something, and I just thought, I've got these tracks that are sitting around, and, and why not I just give them to, you know, when I get something? So pretty much if I buy something, I'm usually just saying, hey, check this out when you get a chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, i passed out a ton. So it's a Great. good one. I like it. For your joy.
0: Good. Why is it that age tends to make men bitter and angry? Mike, I'm going to ask you this one.
1: <laughs> I knew it.
0: <laughs> what advice would you give to a young man living closely and trying to love an older man that is frequently bitter and angry?
1: You're the one who's going to benefit um, loving somebody, anybody who's bitter or angry because... There's a lot of uh, self-sacrifice that's involved in in that, and it's not just an older man who's bitter, I'm guessing it's a grandfather or a father in his latter years. Um, I had a snappy quip, what is it that makes old men bitter and angry? It's young men who accuse them of being bitter. (laughs) Um, But I think Mm -hmm. think, um, that's the call. The call is to love difficult people. And um, you just need a lot of grace. But you are going to benefit more than the person that you love when you love someone who may not receive that. So. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think understanding that the whole, you know, you sow an action, you reap a habit, sow an a- habit, you reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Bitterness and anger, um, it doesn't happen overnight. I think as men get older, um, we feel more like we failed in different ways. There's more people who we feel wronged us. Um, Older men start losing their strength and they feel more vulnerable and they don't like that feeling. So how do you not become that? you know what I'm saying? What are some things that maybe the younger man, middle-aged man, or even older man can do right now so they don't go down that path?
3: Yeah, so I, one of the tools that's been so helpful for me kind of in a midlife is to read David Gibson's book, Living Life Backwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, any of you have read that. It's basically mm-hmm. a kind of a devotional commentary through Ecclesiastes. That's been a game changer for me. So if I had an older person in my life that's older than me, that's bitter, I would just try to... Look at that, encourage them, point them to Christ as best as I can, but to read a book like Living Life Backwards to help me not get there. And basically, it tells us all the things that older guys get bitter about is life. I mean, Solomon's very clear. This is what life is going to be, so let's know the end game and how it's all going to play out. And then live our life backwards knowing that's the end. Mm-hmm. Because then you're not putting your hope on fool's gold. You're not putting your yeah. hope on smoke. You're not putting your hope on something that the world has to offer. Which is usually why people get bitter. Is yeah. things didn't turn out meeting their expectations. So I would highly recommend that David Gibson book, no matter what your age is.
1: Yeah. The, root of bit- the root of bitterness and anger ultimately is aimed, when you trace it down, it's aimed at God. Um, because God is ultimately over. hmm everything and is, could have prevented the disappointment that you're experiencing, but you didn't. And so it's hard for people to acknowledge that when you press in a little bit, and they do, um, it, I think it changes that, that perspective for them. Okay.
0: I think this will be our last question. For a long time, there has been an abundance from the pulpit exhorting the church on doing gospel mission in the vein of vision casting. But seemingly a large gap in the middle on equipping, a dearth of teaching on the mechanics of how the church used to carry out, like gospel skills for lack of a better term. How can leadership and congregations embark at a bat, on a path to, to fill this gap and be successful? I thought this was a good final question because we just cast the vision, right, to go out there. But what would be the next step for a church that wants to get serious about evangelism and doing this? What, what do they do?
3: i'll give kind of an outside the box answer and that would be what i taught on the breakout and that is instead of focusing on the mechanics of evangelism and the formula of evangelism teach god's people to love god and the more that we grow in our love for god the more we become awed by his character we can't help but share the gospel we can't help to Mm -hmm. but steer conversations about sports to where true hope lies i mean they're that, that would be the, kind of my outside-the-box answer, although probably you guys have a better mm-hmm. one, but that's where I would start.
2: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm less inclined to, to think about mechanics. There's a place for that, and I think that can happen in, in the pulpit. That can happen in our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies. There needs to be a practical component, how do you apply this to life, so make sure we're helping as teachers. We're helping our people know how to apply it to the real world. We don't leave it just up here. But in my experience, it's not that we lack the mechanics. It's, it's that we lack the heart and the mindset. And primarily we need a shift in mindset. We need to view all of life as a gospel opportunity right before us. We yeah. need to have eyes and ears open to the gospel opportunities right before us. We need to stop viewing our neighbors as enemies. And we need to view them as our mission field. And if we love God and we love people deeply, it will overflow into gospel conversations and opportunities because that's what it does. So, mm-hmm. yes, strategize. Yes, have some practical tools. Mostly, it's our heart. If you don't love God yeah. and love people, you're not going to share an effective, clear gospel with them. Yeah, something Brett
0: Kapranica shared last night was they want to develop a culture of evangelism because
2: exactly. culture trumps
0: strategy. You know, just the, there's an expectation that we share our faith. Prayer request: it's expected that, well, okay, pray for your aunt's health, but is she saved?
4: Right? Jay, what are we going to say? Uh, I think this is a definite place for uh, a discipleship note, imitation. Uh, people are going to do what they see, and uh, if you can say, uh, follow me, watch me how I do this, or we're, we're, we're going about this, uh, when people can see it in, in real life, in particular ways, they get, uh, they get some methods of how to go about it. Uh, they're going to be encouraged, they're going to be helped. There's lots of conversation that can happen, so yeah. uh, there is a call uh, to Timothy. Uh, to do the work of the evangelist. So the leaders of the church, they, they do need to set an example of, of uh, yeah. a gospel priority and uh, going and sharing and then to teach others who will be able to teach others yeah. also.
0: There's one, Just pure mechanics, Will Metzger's Tell the Truth is an excellent book. So that's Will Metzger's Tell the Truth.